All right, race fans, Ryan Aho here. We're bringing you the 51st edition of the One to Go show here with my uh, my buddy, co-host, Bert Lehman. Bert, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing very good tonight. How are you doing? I, I'm, I'm doing great. i got to be honest, I'm sick of winter already. I, I'm up <laughs> at my parents' house. There's snow on the ground. This crap is overrated, and uh, I'm already sick of it. And, and that kind of leads us to, you know, uh, that leads us to no local events, right, this weekend. I mean, there was supposed to be a couple of events this past weekend up here. We were supposed to have, I guess they were trying to have the Can-Am Clash at the Gondic Law Speedway. It's never happened yet. Um, <laughs> I can see why. And Mississippi Thunder Speedway, you know, as, as we talked about, they had tried to have the pumpkin race. That got canceled. So the two local events that were going to happen – had it been a week earlier, it was like 75, 80 degrees. It could have happened. But uh, it's funny how, you, you know, you're up here in Minnesota, Wisconsin. You can go from 75, 80 degrees to 25 degrees just like that. And uh, with that said, next week's event canceled as well. There was supposed to be one more of the topless. And I don't think anybody wants to go topless this time of year. <laughs> Even though that's just for the cars, right? But uh, that was going to be at Ogilvy, but no more local racing up here. But uh, this episode brought to you by our friends over at Weir's Machine. You know, uh, like I said, you know, it's that time of year. Racing season up here is done. There's still some regional, national stuff going on. But when you're looking to get your parts, when you're looking to get stuff for next year, give Chad, give them guys a call down there at Weir's Machine. And, you know, when you want to get back out to the two-day, three-day events and you're camping, you want to have the – I guess they have the beanbag um, boards and stuff like that, and the counters. They got all that crazy stuff. Puka talks about, I mean, they have about everything. But give them guys a call down at Weir's Machine. You know, they have about everything you can imagine for uh, for racing, and they do a great job. So give them a call. But, uh, Bert, you know, there may not have been some local racing. Local racing's done, but there was some regional late model racing. Uh, you know, did you watch any of that this weekend? Um, I, I didn't watch it live, but I did go back and, and watch the events and uh, at Smoky Mountain Speedway uh, down in Tennessee uh, for the Southern All-Stars. Uh, well, the most exciting thing was Ricky Weiss was there and he debuted his new die cast of his new paint scheme. But I suppose you want to talk about the action on the track. Well, I see all the <laughs> die cast behind you, so I can only imagine you got your order, didn't you? <laughs> I don't have it ordered yet, but I probably will soon. Uh, but but anyway, speaking of Ricky Weiss, uh, there's a little controversy uh, surrounding him uh, in the feature on uh, Friday night there. And uh, when I, I I knew about the controversy before I watched the race and watching the race, I'm not quite sure how they scored the way they originally scored because he was clearly clearly leading when that yellow came out and uh even if they went back to the last completed lap i mean he was leading so i'm not quite sure how they placed him in second place but uh i'll let you fill in the viewers with uh the rest of what happened my, my buddy jeff said and he actually posted on uh on one of the posts on facebook um weiss got some home cooking down there you know you're down in the south he's a he's a yankee he's north of being a yankee he's from canada you know so he's down there and you know, they got a unique announcer act down there and the guy's got a ton of energy. Like the first time I listened to him, I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy drives me insane. But then I listened to the next race and actually, you know, he's got a unique deal. You know, this verbiage kind of sounds like a WWE guy, but he's actually pretty knowledgeable. When I listen to him, he actually knows what he's talking about. So I was pretty impressed. I mean, there's a lot of enthusiasm, but 
a little bit different than what I'm used to listening to, but kind of what happened there. So, so needless to say, I'll kind of go over the results quick. It was the same both nights. Um, Dale McDowell won both nights. We'll talk about the first night here in a second. Ricky Weiss got second. And then, uh, then a kid by the name of Sam Seawright. He's a rookie in the series. He got third. He, he looked pretty good. Um, He's only 18, guy well, I believe, too. Yeah, young guy, well-spoken when they interviewed him. You know, I listened to the Dirt on Dirt um, interview with him. Very well-spoken, so, so hats off to him. But what happened there, about well, nine to go the first night, you know, McDowell had kind of challenged for the lead in the back straightaway and getting into turn three got inside of Ricky and probably had an advantage through three and four. And the announcer, he's on top of things. He's like, and we have a new leader. You know, he hauls his old Dale McDowell, you know, past Ricky Weiss. And they come across the line and they, they had just gone yellow or they, they come across the line and Weiss had him by half a car, at yep. least half a car at the line. And then they holler yellow and then they go back. And next thing you know, Dale McDowell's in the lead. I'm like, did I miss something here? Like, like what's going on? You know, I'm like, I don't know. That didn't really seem right to me. So McDowell got the lead. Weiss was clearly upset about that kind of bobbled a little bit, but then he got, you know, he got up to him again. And then what was weird with about two to go, they come into three and four, you know, and I got the video clip here for those of you watching on Facebook, you can see what I'm talking about, but he comes into three and four, a lapper spins out and Dale McDowell clearly kind of lifts for the lapper. Yep. But there's no yellow. There's no nothing. Mm -hmm. And Ricky drives by him, and they come across the line, and they take they, – they literally take the white flag, or they take the – that's two to go. They take the white flag. They go all the way around. They come all the way back into three and four on the last lap, and then they finally throw the checkered flag – or the yellow flag. And it's like, all right, well, they probably should have thrown it right away because he was clearly right. on the track. But they waited until three and four. It's like at that point, you know, just stay green. It's over, right? And you can see people in the grandstands going like, what's going on here? Why are they going yellow? Well, then the yellow comes out. Then they put McDowell back in the lead again. And it's like, oh, so they go to the scales. And Ricky is hot. I mean, he you can hear him like revving his car up. He's mad. And the announcer's got no idea what's going on. He's like, oh, evidently there's problems at the scales. Ricky Weiss must be light. And, like, everywhere all over Facebook, Ricky Weiss, they're like, I don't know what he's mad about. It didn't matter anyway. He was light, you know. So, I mean, didn't matter what the calls were. Well, it turns out he wasn't light. Like, that was the announcer jumping, you know, jumping the gun on that deal. And it's, it's like, okay, crazy enough. So, they went back, and Ricky had a discussion. I, You know, must have been – I don't know how the discussion went. But on Facebook the next day, the Southern All-Stars apologized, and they said, hey, we, that's our bad. We messed up. And it sounds like they made it right now. I tried getting the details there to find out exactly what that meant, but clearly they made it right with Ricky. So in my mind, I'm thinking maybe they handed him over a few hundred bucks, you know, maybe the difference between first and second, you know, whatever that might've been. But uh, it sounds like, you know, they, they handled it well. I was impressed with that, that they jumped online. They said, Hey, we screwed up as a bad deal. We apologize for it. We're going to make it right with Ricky. Ricky stuck around the next day. Ricky got second, and uh, he had no he had no challenge there really for uh, for McDowell the second day. But you know who did have a challenge the second day was Ashton Winger. Did you see Did you see that deal? Uh, I didn't see it the second day. No, I didn't oh. watch that one. Holy cow! So Ashton Winger the first day <clears throat> he ran okay, but the second right. day he got into second. 
and he got next to McDowell coming off a of one and two. And that announcer, it, it's kind of fun. He's got a different he's he's got a different Southern deal going on. You know, he's he's a he's a brother down there that wears bib overalls, so he you can tell like he's a he's down and dirty type of guy. Kind of fun. But you know, he announces he's like, oh, Dale McDowell's in trouble. Here comes Ash. Air Force Ashton Winger and Winger <laughs> does the death slide getting into turn three. And the only thing that kept him on the property was the concrete because he sailed that thing in there so hard. There was zero chance of him making it. And he pounded the wall in three and four, ripped the deck tin up. And then he, he broke something because then he hit the wall again, like idling down the track, hit the wall again, wadded up a couple of cars. It's like, oh my God. And uh, <laughs> that was the only real threat there for McDowell. And uh, they didn't have it live the second day feed went down, but they had it. I actually went on and watched it, but pretty good race and kind of a neat facility. And I was surprised to see Ricky Weiss go there, you know, with the Dirt Track World Championship going on. I figured him and McDowell would have probably gone or wing or some of them guys would have went for the real money. But, you know, maybe it was just that close for them where they're located that they said, heck with it, we're going to go here and race. So, Yeah, I think Ricky uh, posted on Facebook that – uh uh, he wanted to stay close to his shop. He must, he must uh, have a shop in Tennessee. Yep. And uh, so he, you know, he wanted to stay close to his shop so he could work on the, on the car and prepare for the final races on the outlaw tour. Yeah. Yeah. And that makes sense, you know, because I mean, you look at the payout for the dirt track world championship, it was good for the top three. And then it was not that great from the rest of the way down. So the travel expenses, getting the crew there, getting everybody there, it just made sense for him to, to do that financially. He rounded off a pair of seconds, which is really good for Ricky and uh, oh, good racing overall, but that wasn't it. There was another regional event, regional series going on in the Midwest and the car cone at that one, Bert, was incredible. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, the MLRA series uh, was racing uh... – uh, over the weekend on Friday and Saturday and uh, on uh, Friday night, uh, Mason Oberkramer, is that how you pronounce it? Yep. Yep. He won. Uh, I actually didn't uh, watch uh, Friday night show. I did watch Saturday night show. Uh, so uh, you can probably fill in everybody with what happened on Friday night. Well, it was interesting. It was actually, I, I don't want to say the track was bad at first. You know, I kind of thought, you know, it's kind of a one lane train on the bottom. It was hard to pass, but there was a couple lines. The top was so far around that place, you know, that it, you the top's got to be really good um, to win up there. But, you know, what was interesting to me was the starts. I, I kind of watched the feature and, and we've talked about jump starts on the show and I mean, we've seen starts. It's like, there's no way that's going to go. And we've seen starts. It's like how they, how they not call that. Well, I'm going to play the clip here on the video and I'll let everybody kind of see what they think. But um, on the first night over Kramer and Tim Manville were side by side on the restart and they come out for the green flag and they got that stupid cone sitting off a of turn four. And literally, I, I mean, if over Kramer fired a half a car before that, he started rolling into the gas. It wasn't a huge deal. And actually, Manville got back next to him. They threw the yellow, and it's like, well, that's kind of stupid. But nobody went to the back. They didn't dock anybody. They didn't do anything. They just redid it. Well, then on the next restart, and this is going to be the you make the call on this one. Again, nobody got put to the back. But you can tell that Oberkramer's like, whatever. He literally rolled, in my eyes, this is what happened. He rolled through three and four, and then he just never fired. And Manville got the jump, and you can see, like, he's clearly past the cone. He still doesn't hit the gas, and it made it look like Manville jumped, like, massively huge. So then 
the yellow comes out again, and then they finally had the restart. I just shake my head. It's like, get rid of that stupid cone. The leader starts the race. I mean, you don't need to have that. And uh, that, I think that was kind of like a little cat and mouse deal up front type deal. And then you see on the restarts, they kind of jumped, jumped pretty early. But uh, Overkramer wins. Simpson got second. Manville got third. Now, what was interesting there, Bert, is the guys that were in the top three in points, they all struggled. I mean, Hurst, I mean, he smacks the wall, right? He, he was, I mean, he was running kind of mid-pack, kind of within striking distance with Looney, Peyton Looney, who was second in points. Hurst actually smacks the wall, DNFs. Peyton Looney had to take the provisional just to get in, and he kind of ran towards the back. And then Chad Simpson, who was third in points, he ended up getting 22nd in that deal. So the top three in points, it's like nobody wants to win this championship deal. They all just kind of laid a big egg. Um, but at the end of the night, uh, it's some good race in there. Over Kramer, big win for him. A couple local guys from our area, Bert, that went down there. Uh, Jake Tim, he's been traveling a bunch. Hey, he's mm -hmm. been kind of hitting a lot of shows. I'm excited for him because I always call him the, the poor man's Bobby Pierce, you know, because he's, <laughs> you know, he's, he's up on the wheel. He's fun to watch. But I think he's got a bright future ahead of him. You know, he carries yeah, himself definitely. well. His dad does. I think he's going to – and he's running some pretty good shows. So I'm, I'm excited to see what happens next year. Brent Larson made the trip down there. First day, neither one made the show. Brent, uh, he DNF'd in the V-Main, struggled pretty bad. Jake only missed transfer by one. But uh, the second day, both of them made the show. Both of them DNF'd. I don't know what happened. And uh, the second day, uh, did you watch that feature? Yes, I did watch that feature. And uh, I, I wrote down some of my comments as I was watching it. And, uh, uh, I mean, there's one interesting uh, point in the feature when Bobby Pierce was leading and a car spun in front of him, and he actually tagged him a little bit with, with his rear quarter panel, and uh, so that made things a little interesting because Pierce was leading at the time. Uh, I was very impressed with Ryan Gustin. He was he had a very strong run there. Uh, he was running in the top three um, for some of the race. Um, you mentioned the, the battle for the championship. Um, Looney did not have a good night the second night. He had a flat tire, I think, and then he had front end damage from a different incident. And uh, despite that, I mean, I know a lot of drive local drivers don't race. They don't like the race for points anymore, track championships. But I love the championships uh, when, when the points are close entering the final night of racing because it just creates so much drama and everything is just magnified even more than what it normally is. So, uh, you know, that was interesting. Uh, but the story of that race had to be uh, um, Mr. Smooth, uh, Billy Moyer, which I find is interesting because he was stalking Bobby Pierce, who is known as a smooth operator. But watching that race, you, you can see who really deserves the, the smooth uh, moniker because Mr. Smooth was – I mean, he was right on the bottom for much of the race where uh, Bobby Pierce was pounding the high side like he, like he normally does. Uh, but what was interesting uh, was uh, Moyer, uh, when he did make the pass for the lead, he changed his line, which was very unique because, you know, I mean, throughout the whole race, he was bottom, bottom, bottom. But Bobby Pierce was very strong in one and two, uh, but three and four were a little iffy. And after Moyer took the lead, he'd enter one and two a little bit higher, and then he'd drift up into the high lane. 
to take away the momentum from Pierce. So, I mean, I mean, it just shows the, um, the experience that Moyer has. And um, he went on to win, and I didn't write down what victory this is, 800 and some, but... Uh, Day 45, I think. That's what I thought, too. That's what I thought, too. So uh, he can still get it done. I know this uh, on Facebook, there's a lot of people uh, posting, you know, the real GOAT is still winning, and, you know, he, he's the greatest of all time. If you don't, if you don't agree with that, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Jonathan Powers posted that. Uh, and, and Jonathan, I agree, buddy. I agree. Like, me and him don't always agree, but I agree totally because, you know, Bloomquist is arguably a top three, but I'm a Billy Moyer guy. You know, so in my, in my eyes, he's the GOAT of dirt late model racing, and, uh, yeah, it's good to see him back in victory lane for sure. <laughs> So what were your thoughts on the race? Yeah, you know, I, you know, kind of the, well, Manville had a good night the first night. He ends up upside down in that deal. But I guarantee them guys got signals, right? They, it's like because they don't have mirrors. They got to have signals. And, and when he changed the line, the lap before that, Moyer actually gets a good run off of two rolls, you know, and he kind of rolls, you know, rolls up the track. But Bobby Pierce got a great run off of two and actually clipped him yeah. on the right rear rolling in. So Moyer could kind of feel like, uh-oh, he's there, right? He's there. So then he must have been getting signals because he still entered low in one, but then mm -hmm. he would kind of drive up using, I like to call it the pat door line, where he kind of drives up, and then you can see him bang the cushion and go down the back straightaway. And uh, that that's experience, you know, having that presence of mind to kind of move around. And, you know, yeah, Mr. Smooth got it done. And Bobby <laughs> Pierce. As much crap as I like to give that dude for his nickname, which makes no sense whatsoever. It's like calling a, a fat guy slim, right? It just makes no sense. He's really fun to watch. I mean, there's oh, yeah. <laughs> not many people that can bang a cushion better than him. He was really struggling getting into three. You could tell the car just yep. wouldn't rotate in, so he started having to slide it and lose some ground. But he still mounted a challenge with about two to go. He was there. But at the end of the day, Moyer wins. Pierce second, Simpson third, and Jeremiah Hurst. Congratulations to him, 2020 MLRA champion. Um, so uh, congratulations to him. Job well done there. Yeah, so, I agree. And uh, I, I don't know if it was a little rough on the high side in three and four because it looked like sometimes when Pierce went up there, uh, his car would rock back and forth a little bit. So I don't know if it was rough or just the way that the cushion was. What I'm guessing there, Bert, is is a lot of times <clears throat> you could tell he couldn't enter in. So maybe the way the track is shaped or whatever, he couldn't rotate in. So he had to kind of slide the car into the cushion. Well, when you go off sliding, you know, off the dry slick and then hit that traction, and then you're standing on the gas, the car will, if you hit okay. it just wrong, it'll do some funky things. So it might have been a little bit of an aggressive cushion, but it, I don't think it was like a big, huge curve. I think it was just transitioning from that slick to the cushion and grabbing traction and then the car would just kind of do whatever. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but that's his style. I mean, he, if there's anybody that can make that work, it's Bobby Pierce. I mean, oh, yeah. he's, he's yeah. the man <laughs> on that type of stuff for sure. And uh, he's, he's got, he's got a bright future. He's still a young pup too. So he's still got a lot of wins left ahead of him in that 32 ride. So with that said, that was a couple of regional things going on, but our, our big event that we are talking about coming into this deal, right. Coming into this week, we're both excited. The biggest event of the year, pay-wise, right? Hundred grand to win. Talk about that, Bert. Yeah, uh, the Dirt Track World Championship. And one thing that I, you know, we were just talking about the MLRA, and you know that was a Midwest race. 
you know, I was a little surprised to see uh, the high side hustler, Jason Fager, make the trip to the Dirt Track World Championship. Uh, right. But he did he did make it a worthwhile. He finished 10th in the feature. So, uh, you know, congratulations to him for making Surely that. Surely, Yeah, sure. you're right. Surely, yeah. too. And, uh, you know, congratulations to both those drivers for leaving, you know, their home turf, so to speak, and uh, racing in that race. But uh, anyway, yeah, the biggest uh, payout race of the year at Portsmouth, Iowa. And uh, there's a lot of uh, interesting things that took place. Uh, one one of the first things I noticed on Friday when I was uh, perusing Facebook and they, the the pictures of the cars started showing up on Facebook was uh, Tim McCready's look. He had a, a new paint scheme uh, for, <laughs> he had a new paint scheme for this race. Actually, this race in the past, they would do like a retro theme. A lot of the drivers would, would do retro, uh, I want to say paint schemes, but we both know it's not paint anymore. It's, a, <laughs> it's vinyl graphics. Uh, so it was cool to see that. Um, and he put that, uh, that new scheme to good use because uh, he was quick right out of the box. Yeah, you know, he looked poised. I mean, he had the most <laughs> crown jewels coming in, and he went out there and he won. And what's interesting is, is you can see in the video clip here, Jimmy Owens comes in on the first lap. He bobbles in turn one and two. He bobbles in turn three and four. He goes from second to like fifth. He just struggled. But T-Mac, I think he started third, and he drove right to the front, never looked back. And, and he looked like he was poised to win his third crown jewel of the year after heat number one. So in blue and yellow, I mean, that was, that was always my colors right there. So <laughs> I'm thinking like that was a Ryan Aho tribute car. I'm not really sure. You know, I had Bill scenes on my car at some point. So, but uh, yeah, he, it's kind of neat to see that that different stuff. And heat number two, Fergie holds off Madden. But heat number three was a little bit interesting there too. The old man talking about the goat Billy Moyer. The old man got her done in heat three. Well, what's surprising about that? Yeah, Bloomquist went on to win that heat. But what's surprising? I mean, he started on the front row, but entering turn one. He slipped up. I mean, you don't see this too often from him, and he drifted high. And, I mean, he had Shepard, Davenport, Shirley, and Moran all in that heat, but nobody could take advantage of his slip-up. And he continued the, the lead and led the entire race to, to win that heat race. So, uh, you know, you don't see him slip up too often. And with the drivers he had in that race, you know, usually they're ready to pounce. And they weren't able to pounce on that mistake. Yeah, you're exactly right. I figured somebody would have capitalized. He kind of did the same thing there Owens did. And a guy that surprised me in that one, Davenport, I mean, he's been, you know, other than that one win that he has, the one big one, where was that? It was Eldora, right? The Eldora, yeah. Final. Other than that, which was kind of a gift, but he was there to capitalize on the situation. So that's a win is a win is a win. But he got seventh in the heat. I mean, he was just terrible. I, you know, that was – I kind of watched that. I'm like, boy, you know, thank God for provisionals for him because he, he's <laughs> off to a rough start. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and heat farther. I mean, I, there was kind of a theme where driver, drivers were slipping in the first uh, corner because uh, Overton started on the front row, Brandon Overton, and he slipped up over the cushion. And this time drivers were ready to, to pounce because Overton went from second to fifth, fifth or sixth, depending on how you – where they take the, the scoring. Uh, so by turn two, he had dropped down to fifth or sixth, but he was able to rebound and actually made a last lap pass uh, to win that feature. So um, 
you don't see him make a mistake like that too often, but uh, he didn't uh, let that get him down, and he, he battled back. <laughs> yeah, three of the first four heat races, somebody on the front row bobbled in turn one and just about lost everything. It was kind of a weird deal. We'll talk about that in a sec, but he looked really good. That was by far the best heat race of the night because he charged to the front. He ended up getting by, I think, Clanton, but Clanton ended up breaking. Then he got by Billy Moyer Jr., and then on the last, he had a, this awesome line. He would bury it up into turn one, and he'd kind of roll. It, it wasn't like banging and diamonding. He was kind of driving through one and halfway into two and then coming down the racetrack and getting huge runs down the back straightaway, and he snuck by uh, one of the old dream winners. I, I didn't even realize he had won this race, but Case Bolt was leading. Case he looked really good at nine, and he'd won a dream before. I'm like, holy cow, I parked next to that guy at Kentucky Lake when I was <laughs> down there. I didn't even realize he won the dream. So, you know, but uh, he looked good. But uh, Overton looked, you know, he's been in the conversation for driver of the year for sure in the top three, and uh, he looked really good there in heat number four. Heat five. My guy, my guy, RTJ drives by Josh Richards to get it done. And Richards was there, though. Richards stopped him the whole race. In my eyes, I think Richard was quicker at the end of that race. And uh, But Ricky Thornton Jr. started third, got the lead right away, never looked back, and set himself up for a great weekend. So that was pretty cool. How about Heat 6? Heat 6, uh I just wrote down Marler dominates. Uh, that's pretty much all you need to know on that heat race. He did put a beat down, but Kyle Larson was in heat number uh, six there too. And just a non-factor. He got fourth. He did. He, but it was kind of, you know, if there's such thing as an easy heat in, in open late model racing, that was about as easy as it got. I mean, it was the less lesser of the evils. And right. it just, he just couldn't get it done. It was, Marlar Boom Briggs got second, who really hasn't been all that great. He's been better with, since he switched cars. And uh, Jared Landers, I believe his second show of the year, he got third in that one. But uh, Kyle Larson, now, what was weird there, I'm talking about the heat races, you know, it's pretty good race in action. <clears throat> A lot of cars, I think they had 63 cars there, 15 laps heat, 15 lap heats. But again, it was dry and hot laps, right? So they had that place just like concrete. And then they had, they must have had like a Scarfire blade on the grader because if you looked at the track, it had these grooves in it, right? So like they were grading it. So the track was rock hard and it was like grooved and then it would just be all marbly. So it was really dirty, really marbly, really grooved. And you could tell when cars hit them grooves, the car would kind of do the happy dance on them. They didn't really know what it was going to do. And, you know, as bad as I thought the track, it just looked terrible. There was still some pretty decent racing. Like, cars were moving around. Overton, like, he was really good running the top, crossing over, doing some things. So you could – but it was weird. And I think it threw a lot of guys for a loop because it didn't have any grooves in it in time trials or in hot laps. Well, when they went out and kind of so-called farmed the track, it was totally different. And i never seen that many guys ever – in like the first corner that were like top echelon right. guys come in and go like, holy crap, what is this deal? And they drive up the racetrack and they're like, they had no idea what to expect. So it was, uh, it had character to say, <laughs> to say the least, a little bit of dust. But uh, you talked about the tribute car there with, uh, with uh, T-Mac, my favorite cars of the weekend. You know, how about, how about the Carpenter rides, right? Tyler Carpenter yep. and Freddie. Freddie had the police car. Tyler had the USA theme car that's what makes dirt track racing so much better 
than every other sport in the country simply because we obviously love our country, we support the police, you know, and we have the national anthem, there's nobody kneeling, right? Prayer before the race. I mean, you can just tell a lot of patriotism at a dirt track race, especially down there in the Ohio Valley. So a uh, pretty cool deal. Now on to night number two, Bert. Well, um, I, I just want to mention about the uh, Freddie Carpenter, the, the police tribute car. I mean, not only did he race it uh, at the dirt track world championship, uh, but on his Facebook page, he had pictures. He must have, he take, took the car to, I'm assuming it was his local police station or local county police station. And there's pictures of the local police, policemen, police women, uh, you know, standing by the car. Uh, there's a picture of the, of the late model in the middle with some other cop cars surrounding it. So, I mean, not only did he have a special tribute, but he actually took it to the people that he was doing the tribute for. So that was kind of cool seeing that on Facebook. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That was really cool. And local dirt track racing, we need to do a lot more of that, right? You know, we need to have them tribute cars, get different special interest groups involved with the sport, you know, because it's great to pay tribute. But then all, those, all of a sudden, those people, they look at it like, man, this is pretty cool. I might have to get out to a dirt race. So pay close attention to that. I think that's some things we need to look at moving forward. But on uh, night two, it started off uh, a little sketchy. The high side tickler, Kyle Strickler, who was supposed to be pulling B1, <laughs> boom, blows up in hot laps. Weekend over. No spare car, no spare engine. You know, I mean, when you go to a Heath One Day Features and X, the odds of blowing up in hot laps is really low. You know, so if you blow up, it's going to be in the Heath or, or the B or the Feature, so you're just done. And uh, I think he's wishing they would have brought a spare engine. Not sure he would have had time to switch it anyway because he was the first yeah. race of the night. But, you know, tough break for Strickler there who – was in position to kind of slide himself into the feature. And uh, yeah, it was kind of a tough deal. And, and also in the B mains there, Kyle Larson, um, he looked like a fly swatter. You know, he's <laughs> kind of, I mean, he's up on the wheel, but he's banging the wall and he started outside pole. And, and, and honestly, he, again, he didn't have like the toughest B main. I figured for sure. I think Fager was next to him, but really it was just kind of them two. And he just backpedaled, hit the wall, I think he ripped the spoiler off and just a bad deal. And thank God for provisionals. And we'll get into that before we, <laughs> I mean, you know, you take, what they take? Six heats, they took three. So that's 18. They took two out of each B main. So now they're at 24, right? And then they had seven provisionals, seven. Every single Lucas Oil car and Kyle Larson. What's your thought about that? I don't think you need seven provisionals. I mean, you might as well call this NASCAR then where, you know, pretty much all the top teams. I mean, I understand why you have provisionals because, uh, I mean, you do have top teams who follow the tour and, um, you know, fans expect to see them in the race. But seven provisionals is a little excessive in my opinion. And uh, the, the fact... I don't necessarily agree with provisionals all the time, but if you're going to give a provisional, give it to somebody who deserves a provisional, like a local guy who's been, who supported you all year, or, you know, that sort of thing. But, you know, for Kyle Larson to get a provisional, I mean, he got it just because of his name. I mean, let's be honest. Um, and, uh, you know, the promoters wanted to see him in the feature because, Obviously, the fans wanted to see him in the feature, too. But, I mean, 
for the casual fan, yeah, that's nice. But for us who, I mean, we go into this a little bit deeper, you know, he really wasn't deserving of a provisional. <laughs> yeah, I'm torn on that. I really am because I, I'm wearing different hats here. You know, as a as a promoter, I, I believe that he is at a promoter's provisional basically every year. So that's his right. He's throwing 100 grand to the winner. I get it. You know, Kyle Larson, I guarantee, like my buddy Keith said, I only, he said he only bought Lucas Oil TV because Kyle Larson was racing. That's it. That's the only reason he bought it. So there was probably several sprint car fans that bought Lucas Oil TV just to watch Kyle Larson. I get it. His prerogative. Having six Lucas cars come in, there's already been a problem this year, right? Between the world of all the guys following all the Lucas crown jewels and the Lucas guys. That gets a little bit, you know, touchy there, you know, as a drives a promoter. You know, I can see Kyle Larson. I can't really see all six. And and even the six that they let in, like Hudson O'Neill, for example, well, he didn't even run the whole series, right? You know, so some of the guys they let in, it was just kind of weird that they let that many in. Their prerogative, I guess, I mean, it is what it is, but there were some guys that were right on the outside looking in that were more of a local deal that it would have meant more to them getting into that show than it meant to somebody like, you know, that's following series is or whatever. Um, as a driver, you know, I've been on both sides. I've been the guy that's kind of not been very good. I've been the guy that's won a bunch of races and, you know, getting in just because your name isn't real cool. I think you should, like you say, earn that spot getting in. But I guess it is what it is. Uh, Kyle Larson, it didn't really pay off because he ended up ripping the whole right rear off again, hitting the wall, and his night was done anyway. But, you know, it's just kind of crazy that there was that many provisionals in there, and uh, none of them were really factors anyway in the in the show. I think Kyle brought out a yellow, actually. Well, and then, I mean, you mentioned, uh, you know, they were all Lucas cars, and, you know, there's this Lucas versus World of Outlaws. I mean, how many outlaw cars were actually there? I mean, Bloomquist, um, Shepard, and yep. I mean, who else was there? I mean, Herb wasn't Briggs, there. What you call Briggs? Briggs is a Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah Briggs, Briggs is an outlaw guy. Yep. Uh, so, I mean, maybe maybe that's part of the reason some of those outlaw drivers don't and they were go already to that in. race. Yeah, they were already in. So, maybe, I mean, they, them guys were already in the show. Yeah, Bloomquist, uh, um, Briggs, B Shep. I'm thinking maybe there was one more, but I can't really remember off the top of my head. But but yeah, they were already in the show. So I mean, I get it, but they were already they were already in, right? Or the, the race the people that were gonna watch already had it. So it didn't create mm -hmm. more people watching because everybody that was watching was already watching anyway. No, I I really doubt that anybody says, Holy crap, you know, they gave they gave Hudson O'Neill a provisional. I better go ahead and buy Lucas Oil TV now so I can watch the feature. Right. <laughs> you know, but yeah, it is what it is. Overall, yeah. um, overall, it is what it is. But the feature, again, at first, I kind of like, oh my goodness, it was terrible. At first, my my initial thoughts were the feature was bad. But then I went back. I actually rewatched it. In the first half, that feature, Bert, was pretty darn good. Yeah, it um, was. I mean, McCready and. Uh, uh, Chris Ferguson uh, battled early on. I mean, it, they had a good battle uh, going back and forth. Um, one of the best battles though, in the whole race was, um, well, before I get to that point, though, I should probably say Brandon Shepard. He's driver of the year. I mean, <laughs> watching him take the lead, I mean, he, it does, he can race high, he can race low. Uh, he put it three wide when he took the lead. And How about, I, yeah, that was when he got in the second. 
That move oh, that was second. second. <laughs> oh my god! When he split Marlar and RTJ coming off of turn four, it's like, wow. I mean, that that's car control. I mean, he could run top, middle, bottom. It didn't matter. He could go anywhere he wanted to go, and then he put it up on the outside of T-Mac there to take the lead. It was right. It was impressive. Probably what actually, actually one of the most impressive things to me in that race though was Zach Dome. I mean, he actually came back to challenge Shepard for the lead. And he was, most of the drivers were, were hugging the tires, but Dome was actually up a lane and he was trying to make that outer lane work a little bit for him. And he was actually sticking right with Shepard, but you could tell that uh, the inside lane was, was just a little bit better than, than that outside groove. You know, another thing that's interesting is, is you think about Brandon Shepard, and, and in my mind, I'm used to Brandon Shepard charging late, right? Like he's a guy that kind of is is calculating. And he went from 11th to 1st in 24 laps, right? And he put on a little softer tire. He said he went a little softer, took a chance on it. He said he had to get to the front because he felt it was probably going to lock down at some point on the bottom. So he said, I needed to get there before halfway. Well, he got there on lap 24, which is only a quarter of the way through, and uh, and he never looked back. Then, then once he got the lead, you could tell he even got into lap traffic there, right? And he just stayed completely patient. He didn't, right. like, move off the – you know, we saw Glenn's last week over at Ogilvy leading, gets into lap traffic, and he went up a lane to try to pass and fell back and had a meltdown. Well, Brandon Shepard, that's the difference between somebody that's won over $600,000 this year is he had the patience to follow the lap cars knowing that was a place to be. And he's basically thinking in his mind, all right, you're in second. You want to pass me? You go up there and make something happen because I don't think you can. And he was right. He stayed on the bottom. He got her done. And RTJ, another podium finish. But uh, what else stuck out to you there in that feature? Well, McCready, um, you know, he, he was strong early. He fell back just a little bit, but then there was a late race restart and he tried to make the extreme high side work. And I mean, he was able to, to advance a little bit using that groove, uh, but you know, it wasn't enough to uh, catch Brandon Shepard. Cause like I said, I mean, just market right now, he's driver of the year. If you don't, if you don't think he's driver of the year, then you haven't been following racing enough this year. <laughs> yeah, it's either it's either him or Hudson O'Neill. I'm not sure. Probably <laughs> going to give the nod to Bishop on that one. We'll have to discuss it. Um, but, yeah, overall good racing. You know, his fourth Dirt Track World Championship. I guess the only other thing I have on that, Josh Richards, another flat tire. Like, oh, is that what happened? Another <laughs> flat tire. It's like that dude, if they went back and looked at all of Lucas races for this year, he has to have the most flat tires out of all the guys. And, and I think that he would have had a legitimate shot to be a podium guy. Cause I mean, he's, I mean, he's, he's really good there. Well, but he was my pick. For, he was my pick for this race. Yeah. Way to jinx him. Good, good call on that <laughs> one. Way to go. So yeah, I actually picked, I think I, I think I picked T-Mac and he got third in that deal. So yeah, it was, but overall good racing. Now that wasn't the only late model racing, but did you see that debacle, what happened in North Carolina? It was over there at the County Line Raceway in Elm City, North Carolina. Did you see that mess? Um, I, I just saw uh, the tail end of it where uh, uh, two cars got together. I'm not sure how they got together. They both came to a stop on the track. Um, 
one of the cars started pulling away and the driver of the other car got out and threw a steering wheel at the car. And, and the moral of this story is don't turn your back on, on things because he started, he turned his back to the infield and started walking back to his car. And I don't know if it was a crew member from the other car involved, but I, you know, it, you know, it was a crew member because he had those lit up sticks to signal the driver during the race. And he walked up behind, came out onto the track, walked up behind that driver and walloped him in the back of the head. And then this is where it goes back to don't turn your back because then the crew member turns his back to the driver, starts walking back, and the driver just tackled him like it was a WWE event. And then he, and then some, yeah, he just started <laughs> beating on him like, holy yeah. crap. And then everybody gets involved. And the driver's involved is was this Austin Austin Holcomb. He was the guy that was throwing down Matthew Brissett, who or Bissett, I think it was. He was the other driver. I don't. I didn't see what happened on the wreck, but evidently, from what I understand, is Bissett caused the wreck with Holcomb, and they've been having some issues. And when the hello come out, they were stopped. And, and before, and right in the video, uh, beginning of the video clip, you just see it. Holcomb actually stands on the gas and drives into him again. Like he, like that. Oh, was I didn't a, see that. <laughs> yeah, they were stopped, and he drove into him. Okay. Like try, and he basically ripped his nose off. And then all of a sudden, that guy starts driving away that that Bissette does. Holcomb jumps out of his car, runs at him, chucks his steering wheel at him, and he's walking back to the car. Like you say, Bissette's pit guy comes up there with one of the – it must have been like a Darth Vader. I don't know if he thought it was a saber. <laughs> Lightsa or, lightsaber. Yeah, I don't know what he thought it was, but he came up and he, he just kind of hit him with it. And well, I mean, when you hit somebody with one of them, I mean, you don't hit them very hard because it's like a plastic deal. There's not a lot of leverage there. But – Rule number one is when a driver just got wrecked, they're already pissed. And when you see them get out of their car and chuck a steering wheel and go after somebody, you know they're really well pissed. they're pissed. <laughs> so if you're dumb enough to go up and hit a person with one of those sticks, right, or anything or confront them, you better be prepared because he put a beat down on that guy. Then a whole bunch of people got into it. And I don't know if you caught it at the end of this video, that guy, the guy that had the lightsabers there or whatever, right? He got up again, and Holcomb went around the outside of everybody. And as soon as that guy, like, turned his head this way, pow, he drilled him again and knocked <laughs> him on his ass again. I'm like, oh, my God, dude. So I actually talked to the track. Um, I actually shot him a message, and it was a fuel racing series, actually. kind of had that show. And no, it doesn't sound like any suspensions. It sounds like they got uh, no points for the night, and they didn't get a check, and they got disqualified. That's all they got. Um, <laughs> and I, like for I mean that's down in North Carolina and, and I just I'm still on I'm still at kind of a loss I don't understand why Richard Petty calls dirt racing unprofessional I don't I don't understand <laughs> where he gets that I, I just don't know I mean I guess if that's what dirt track racing is like in North Carolina I you may have a point <laughs> right I thought and we're going to talk about some awards we have later on in the year <clears throat> you know the best of and the worst of and I kind of thought I already had like the best meltdown of the year already kind of like picked out but this one's in the mix now you know they we got uh, i think uh davenport aj davenport up in north dakota's got a little competition i i'm, I'm not sure we're gonna have to we'll have to weigh in on that one so what do you what do you say we uh do keith a favor move on to the world of outlaw sprint car series sure did you watch any of that uh, i watched the highlights of uh both both nights and um you know the sprint cars continue to uh, impress me. 
the tracks were really dry. They seemed drier than normal uh, than the past few races anyway. I don't know if that was your impression. Yeah, they did. <laughs> a little bit of a cushion up top, but really slick through the middle. And you could tell a few of them were slipping and sliding, not quite used to not having traction. But they still get after it, you know, no matter what. I mean, like he says, he goes, Late models, if there's a distinct line, everybody's in that line. Sprint cars, mm -hmm. they find a way to move all over the place, and it's, uh, it's a little bit different. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, you really don't see many, uh, you know, one-lane sprint car races. You know, they, they're, they're always searching for, for traction. And I know we've talked a lot the last few weeks about the points battle. Uh, you know, Brad Sweet is definitely uh, making a case for uh, uh, repeating as champion, you know, he uh, placed second in uh, both of the races. Uh, challenged for the lead at the at the very end of both races, races, but uh, came up just a little bit short in both of them. He did. He started 13th the first night. That was over at Lakeside in Kansas City. Uh, Shane Stewart actually jumped in the 41 ride, you know, which, which was interesting because Gravel was running a truck deal. I think they had a change. I think they ran that Sunday. So, that, so he was able to be there, but he jumped in a different car. But Shane Stewart jumped in that. Uh, only his first night in that car. He's like, I followed the 41 around enough this year. Man, I can see why. He said, this thing's really good. So he got her done. And uh, second place was, like you said, sweet. Third was Schuhart. And then Donnie Schatz got ninth. Now, great point night there for sweet. But Schuhart kind of held path. He was right with them. Schatz a top 10, not real great. But uh, Saturday is when things kind of opened up. The Jason Johnson Classic over at Lake Ozark. James McFadden, his second career World of Outlaw win, sweet second shots, third. Schuhart finished way back in 16th. Now, there's a couple interesting things. What did you see in that race that kind of stuck out to you? Well, uh, that was the race that Darren Pittman rolled twice, right? <laughs> in the same race. <laughs> in the same race. Now, the first one I mean, was I mean, the, the first roll was just he rolled over yeah. on his side. So yep. it, it wasn't too bad. But the second roll. The second roll was much worse. <laughs> yeah, there wasn't much left of it. You know, and, and kind of what happened there was uh, Geo Skelzy, there was a there was a restart about midway through the race, and, and I don't think it showed it on the highlight, but I watched the feature, and I don't know if you saw this, but on the restart, they pushed everybody off, right? And it may have been after the first rollover, I don't remember, of Pittman's, but when they pushed him off, he stood on the gas, and he drove wide open into the back of Sweet. He like Oh, really? Yeah, and then he, like, ripped his nose wing and everything off, and it's like, so sweet, your your championship point leader, he had a near miss because he could have, like, I mean, as bad, I mean, it's easy to rip the nose wing off there because there's not much hold it on, but, I mean, that could have been a pretty ugly deal. That could have been a DNF for him. Yeah. And, and then Skelzy is the same dude that caused the rollover because something broke, and he just shut the car off in the middle of the back straightaway and stopped in front of Pittman, and then he cartwheeled and destroyed that car but it's not often you see the same guy roll twice in the same feature so you know <laughs> yeah i guess there's there's heroes and goats and he was kind of like the not the hero in that one for sure especially especially in sprint cars because you know the wings are kind you know kind of fragile and you, you damn you know it's easy to damage those ring those wings um so even a a slight roll can cause enough damage to leave the race but uh yeah he was able to uh do one of the uh something you don't see too often <laughs> roll no, that's twice. For sure. <laughs> three races left and uh the points looks like this brad sweets out front second is shoe he's 62 behind 
And Donnie Schatz now within 20 points of second. He's 82 back, but three races left. He's only 20 behind Schuhart. So that first place one is going to take something pretty major there yeah. for Sweet to fall out. But second place is still up for grabs between those guys. It could be the same finish as last year, one, two, Sweet and Shots. We'll see what happens um, coming up this week. But uh, speaking of sprint cars, uh, you know, kind of one of those deals we like to talk about, the good, the bad, the ugly. You know, we talk about the drama down in North Carolina and, you know, the jump starts. We talk, but there's some good in the sport, too. And, you know, and, and just to show what drivers are really like, did you see what happened over at Kokomo? Yeah, I saw the incident. Uh, Dave Darlin, I don't know what the, are those uh, midget cars or, or just wingless sprints? Yeah, I, th I um, feel like they're USAC wingless sprints, but I'm not 100% okay. positive if they're, if they're USAC. Okay. But yeah, I mean, he won his heat race. And then uh, on the cool down lap in turn three, uh, he came to a stop and his car was on fire and he uh, quickly unfastened his belts and climbed out as fast as he could. And um, <clears throat> when he climbed out, uh, you could see that his fire suit on, on his legs and his feet uh, were on fire. And, uh, you know, this is where, you know, it's a close-knit fraternity, you know, between the drivers. Uh, two, of the, two other drivers, uh, Shane Cottle and Ty, I'm going to – I'm going to say Mihako, <laughs> maybe, Mihako. Yeah. Yeah, uh, they got out of their cars, and as uh, Darlin was on the ground, he was actually rolling on the ground trying to put the fire up, put the fire out himself. But those two drivers actually jumped on his legs to try to smother the fire, and you know it just shows you, um, yeah, everybody's a competitor on the track, but when situations like this come up, you know everybody joins together to. Uh, for the good of everybody. And uh, my, I did go to uh, Dave Darlin's Facebook page and uh, they had posted what happened. Uh, a fuel line connection came loose and that sprayed uh, fuel into the cockpit and onto his legs. And uh, so uh, that's how um, the fire got started. Uh, he, it, the post did say that he got second degree burns on his right leg and left ankle. Uh, but they said the drivers, you know, all the safety equipment did do its job. And uh, they're very thankful that uh, uh, those two other drivers stepped up and that uh, it wasn't worse than it actually was. Yeah. I thought that was super cool. I mean, you saw they, they announced, Oh, we got a car on fire. And then he hit the brakes and literally the other guys hit the brakes. I think one might've been in the infield, but the other guy drove right by him and dynamited the brakes. And like literally as he was getting out of the car, the other guy was already out and ran over there And it. You know, it just, it reminded me of a deal way back in the day uh, in the nineties up at Riverview Raceway up in Thunder Bay. You know, I'm not, you, you heard us talk about the Joneses, you know, Ron Dennis and all that. Well, Dennis was running a modified up there leading the feature at a fall invitational. And I remember him coming out of turn four. And I think, I think the tranny locked up. Yeah, he was running those automatic transmissions. I think it locked up leading, and it was sort of modified. And a guy got in the back of him, sent him rolling, piled up the whole field. Well, he was out cold. He was out cold in the car. Now, the difference between a gas engine and a methanol engine is the gas. You can see the fire. It was orange. You can see it, right? Methanol fired during the day. You can't see it. You know, so, so literally, Don Kettering, you know, um, 
RIP to Don Kettering. You know, he passed a couple of years ago. Great, great dude. I, I had the fortune of knowing him very well. But he saw that Dennis was out, and he kind of saw a haze. He saw a haze, so he jumped out of his car. The window net was lodged, and he actually went over there and actually drugged Dennis out of his car and literally saved his life. Dennis was up in the hospital there for several months after with major firsting reburns or skin grafts. And I mean, it was a bad deal, but if Kettering wouldn't have got out of his car and pulled him out of there, Dennis might not be here today. Right. So that might be, I, I think Andy might've been born at the time, but if he wasn't, you know, there'd be no Andy Jones, there'd be no, you know, so kind of a, kind of a scary deal, but that just goes to show that racing's like a family. You know, when you see something happen, whether, you know, whether you're on the same page with that person or not, nobody wants to see anybody get hurt. And it's just a hats off there, you know, to Shane Cottle and Ty Mahako. Hats off to them guys for, for taking the initiative to go help a fellow driver. I thought that was super cool to see. And I'm uh, glad to hear that Darlin's going to be okay. Uh, minor burns there. But uh, uh, fire's a scary deal, you know. And, and uh, you said a fuel line came apart. And the only thing I got to say to that is, I've seen the quick disconnect type fuel line deals and myself, I mean, if that's what you run, hey, that's your prerogative. I never felt comfortable running that. Like I always wanted one, you tighten that deal on there, you know, it ain't coming off. I've seen them quick disconnect ones come apart. And if that comes apart, you can have a big mess and it just ain't worth it. I mean, it takes two seconds to, un, you know, to screw on a part the fittings. You don't really need the quick disconnect there in my opinion, but um, thank God he's okay. And, you know, I guess uh, that's part of the, the good of the sport right there. Yeah, but, well, uh, I just want to, you brought up an example of a fire from the past. And, you know, this kind of reminded of a driver going above and beyond. Uh, probably about 10 years ago, there was a Dave, David Fever. Uh, this was in the fast track division at Shano Speedway. He got together with another car on the front stretch. And his car actually had two wheels up on the on the fencing right in front of the grandstand and came to a stop, but there was a car underneath him. So he couldn't get out the driver's window like you normally get out. And his, the back end of his car was completely engulfed in flames. As it turned out, the, the fuel stopper, he either didn't have one or it wasn't working properly. So fuel was just dumping out of the fuel cell and Jeff Curtin, who was in that race, got out of the car, you know, he was still in his fire suit, helmet on and everything, climbed up on top and pulled Fever out through the passenger side. And me watching that, that was the first time I was ever at a racetrack where I thought I was going to watch somebody die in a wreck. And so, I mean, just by the grace of God, um, I mean, Fever had no burns or anything. He was completely uninjured. So, uh, you know, it just shows you, you know, Sometimes you can dislike each other on the track, but when it comes to situations like this, they're going to go above and beyond to help a fellow driver out. You know, in, in these cars, you start looking at late models. You start looking at modifieds. <clears throat> they aren't getting any easier to get out of, right? right. I mean, they're used to, when I first started racing, on the right side, they had a measurement between the roll bar and the deck tin, and I want to say it was like 13 inches or something. Like, literally, it was enough to where you could squeeze out of there, but that, that number seems like it's getting smaller. The deck tins are getting taller and there's, you know, everything's tighter around the cockpit. I've been in cars where the, the bar that's right here on your left side, and they call it the petty bar. 
is so far back that it's, it's hard to get out with like the double wraparound seats. Fire's no joke. I talked to Steve Arpin. Right. He was down in, uh, he was down in Florida. He started on fire. He melted his tear offs right to his helmet, you know? Wow. And he's like, he goes, I was scared to death. And he's like, I'm just cutting the left side headrest off that deal. I know it's, it's cool to have it. It's good to have all that support, but the way that they're building the cars now, they're not designed for that seat. You know, like most dirt cars is not designed for a double wrapper on like a NASCAR style seat because you just can't get out of the cars. And all it takes is one time, one time, and it will change your life forever. So, right. so I'd say pay close attention to that stuff. It's uh, the, the probably the biggest fear in racing is burning because everything else is pretty good, you know, but that fire deal. I, I don't, they say you play with fire enough, you're going to get burned and right. it, it will happen. So, <laughs> you know, that, that brings us to, you know, upcoming here, you know, uh, what are you excited about this week? We, again, no local racing, right? Lucas oil late models is done. You know, there's a few events coming up here. You know, is there anything that sticks out to you? Well, the world of outlaws, uh, you know, they have uh, a couple of races this weekend. Um, but I'm kind of looking forward to uh, Ray Cook's Schaefer Fall Nationals. Um, you know, you get to see some different drivers down there. And, uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love watching the World of Outlaws. Uh, but it's also cool to see uh, different drivers at, at different tracks. So I, I'm going to try to uh, uh, watch some of that if I can. Yeah, and that's both. There's two of them races. It's race uh, four and yep. five of the six-race series. The first one, of course, is Thursday night, and that is the Tar Heel 50, which is rescheduled. They were supposed to have, I think it was a hurricane or the rain or yeah. something. They had to reschedule it. Ten grand to win. That's down at Tri-County. Overton won that last year. Then they got a night off on Friday. Saturday, they go to Sonoya um, for night number five. So both of those are on Flow Racing. You know, so if you have it, if you're a Dirt on Dirt subscriber, you have it. You know, then will be some good races to watch. Um the world of all that stuff, that's interesting because that is a Hoosier dirt shootout and the second day rained out for that deal. That's over at Kokomo on Friday. Now, I believe they're just running B mains in a feature. I don't think they're running like another full show along with that. I don't, I, I've tried finding that out, but I think it's just the B mains in the feature and they got the lineup right now for the feature there, Bert. We'll make a pick here. Front row, my man, RTJ, and he's next to <laughs> Chase Youngins on the front row, Brandon Shepard, Kate Dillard, row two, Jimmy Owens, Shane Clanton in row three, Jason Fager, Tyler Erb, row four, Kyle Bronson, Mike Marlar, row five, Bobby Pierce, Lanigan, Bloomquist, Darren Klein, Billy Moyer, Dennis Erb Jr., and uh, that rounds out the cars that are transferred in. Um, I, I, you know, it's hard to pick against Rocket One. Exactly. But I'm going to. <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm going to make a homer pick on this one here. I'm taking RTJ. I think he's going to get her done. 75 laps starting rolling off uh, P1. Who, who do you got? Uh, like you said, it's hard to pick against Brandon Shepard. So uh, I'll, I'll take the easy choice and I'll take Shepard. <laughs> now, <laughs> night number two of, of that, they're Saturday night. They're going to I-55. And uh, then they have two races left in the season over at, well, we'll talk about that in a minute, down in Charlotte. We'll just say it's down in <laughs> Charlotte. Um, both of those are going to be on Dirt Vision. Now, what's, uh, what's interesting to me, you know, our late model expert, Jeff, okay, he sent me over a, he sent me over a picture and he said, hey, 
Um, we have uh, another event here. Did you talk about this one or have you talked about this one? And I'm gonna see if I can find it here. It is called, it's called the Keystone Cup. Um, Bedford Fairground Speedway up in Pennsylvania, 20,000 to win. Okay, so that's gonna be, I believe on Friday and Saturday. That, from what it sounds like, is also on flow. Okay, so, okay. so that'll be kind of interesting. Now, Eckert won that last year. Here's what's interesting about this. We talked about the guys that are already in the show, right? But now you take a Strickler. You take somebody like Rick Eckert, who's rolling off the pole. He doesn't follow the world all those. He's on the pole in the B main, right? So he's from Pennsylvania. He won it last year. Is he going to go down to the World of Outlaws show, start on the pole? Or is he going to say, heck with it, I'm going to stick around home. Somebody else can take my pole spot in the B main. I'm going to race for 20 grand to win at home. You know, you start thinking maybe a Josh Richards type guy, right? I know Bloomquist was up there last year. Obviously, he's in the show. He's going to the World of Outlaw race. You know, but you start looking at that. Maybe a, a Madden, you know, some, some people like that. Where are you know, Madden might be down at some of them races we just talked about. I don't know, but 20 grand to win. Are you going to see some of the guys, trend, you know, transitioning up that way? It'll be fun to see, uh, you know, it's kind of a regional event for 20 grand to win here at the end of the year. It'll be interesting to see what happens. So I'm kind of interested in that race. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm curious to see on that too. I mean, it depends what it pays down further too. I mean, 20,000 win, but if it doesn't pay good, all the way down you know maybe some drivers won't be inclined to but like Eckert he's from that area already and he's only in the B main yes he's on the pole but it's a B main you know there are no guarantees in racing as you know you fully right. know right and <laughs> um, I think most world of all our races most of them now that's a 25 grand to win deal at Kokomo so I don't know what it's paying to start but you got to figure travel expenses and all that I know the deal up at uh, the, that Keystone deal is a thousand to start Okay. Um, and it does drop down pretty fast. It's 27, 3,800, 3, 2,500 for fifth. So it drops down kind of quick, but it's a, it's a good deal for the local regional. It's probably better than they race for all year long. So it's oh, a good right, show for right. them, but that's kind of interesting. You know, I'll, I'll be, I'll be curious to see if anybody that was in the B main at Kokomo says, I'm out and I'm going to go to that one and race for 20 grand to win. It'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I agree. It will be interesting to see, uh, you know, if any of the drivers do decide to pull out and go go there. Now, now I, I'd be inclined, you know, we talked about some late model racing that's coming up, but Keith will yell at me if I don't bring up the World of Outlaws. They only got one show this weekend, which is weird. I don't know if it's a rescheduled deal, but uh, they're running at Kokomo there on Saturday. So that's all they have. So it's kind of weird to me that they didn't try to at least slide something else in there to do a Friday-Saturday deal but they just got a, a standalone one show only over at Kokomo and uh, that'll roll us into the final weekend of the year with those guys. But uh, you know, it'll be interesting. There's only, there's only a couple points left points races left for them sprint cars. And uh, it's, it's going to be fun to watch. I can watch that just because of the announcer and the hype. They do such a great <laughs> job. I'm, I'm pretty interested in that as well. So it's winding down, Bert. There's not a it lot is. of racing going on. No local racing. There's nothing even on the schedule. Of course, we talked about it already. You know, the fall classic, or not the fall classic, but the topless um, over at Ogilvy. That one canceled. That was going to be our local event. And uh, that leaves Shane Sabraski at 45. You and, you and Coco <laughs> were right. You picked the under. I picked the over. 
and and you got me on that one but still a hell of a year for him and and Bert, that brings us into the last lap. And the last lap brought to us by Zuli, uh, Zuli Race Engines, building race engines for winners for several years now uh, up in the Wissota region. You know, they're, they're based, I believe, out of Monticello. They're, they're in central Minnesota, kind of that west central Minnesota there. Get a hold of Frank. He does a great job. You know, I talked Dustin Bogle. He's a good buddy of mine. He, he can't say enough. I mean, so don't just take it from me. You know, Justin Vogel's won a ton of races with Zuli Power underneath the hood. He's a national champion in the street stock. So get a hold of Frank. Um, it's that time of year to start planning for 2021. He's your guy. Does a great job, great customer service. And uh, I talked to Vogel about that. And he says not only does he build a great engine, but, but you know, you build that relationship with him. He's a good guy, too. You know, he really wants to be part of a winning team. So if you want to have a winning team, winning combination, get a hold of Frank Zuli, Zuli Race Engines. Now, I talked about Ogilvy. That's canceled. Local racing's done. But uh, some schedules did come out, Bert. Um, they actually posted this week the Lucas Oil late model schedule, the World of Ola late model schedule. There's still a couple little blank spots in there, but the bulk of their schedules came out. And we'll get into this more as we get closer. But did anything stick out to you, um, I guess, from either one of those schedules? Well, the first thing I always look at when either either of the national series schedules is released is uh are they coming to wisconsin uh that's the first thing i i want to know and uh you know we talked about this early in the year you know we debated as to which division or which uh, series has more star power and i think lucas does so i'd like to see lucas race closer so i can go uh watch in person and unfortunately uh once again no Wisconsin tracks on the Lucas Oil schedule. Um, my understanding is, uh, this is just what I heard over the past few years is uh, um, some of the, because Lucas was, Lucas probably about seven years ago, they were at Oshkosh Speed Zone for like three straight years uh, in May. And uh, unfortunately, uh, that track no longer exists. So then they, they went to Luxembourg Speedway uh, the following year. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of things went wrong. <laughs> they way overwatered the track. So they had to grade all the slime off. And they didn't start racing until like 7 o'clock. And it was like 35 degrees and windy that day. This was it, like, you know, mid-May. Um, and then they went to 141 Speedway the following year, and um, they only had like 25 late models show up. And uh, I mean, Tony Izzo promoted all those shows, and you know he tried his hardest. Uh, but my understanding is, uh, from what I heard from some people, is uh, uh, that kind of left a bad taste in in the mouth for Lucas Oil Series. Uh, so they haven't been back to Eastern Wisconsin since then. Always hoping, but not not in. 2021 anyway never say <laughs> and, never. Uh, never say never <laughs> and uh looking at the outlaw schedule once again you know i always uh check uh see uh wisconsin races and there there are several wisconsin races on the world of outlaw schedule so uh, uh we talked about this a couple of weeks ago um mississippi thunder speedway uh is on the world of outlaw schedule uh May 7th and 8th. It's uh, going to be uh, two, two nights of racing, 10,000 to win the first night and 20,000 to win the second night. Um, as soon as I saw 
Mississippi Thunder Speedway on there, um, I immediately began to think, okay, how is this going to affect late model racing in Wisconsin? Because as we know, Mississippi Thunder has put on some big uh, late model shows for local drivers. So are they kind of throwing more eggs into this basket and there'll be less local late model shows? I mean, Dirt Kings have had some big shows there the last few years. So, I mean, are they going to, it, will Dirt Kings be there next year? Will there be less Dirt Kings races there next year? So, you know, I, I immediately started thinking about how this impacts other things. Uh, but uh, there's other um, Wisconsin races on their schedule that I'll touch on, but let me, let's hear your thoughts on uh, the schedule. I, I guess the biggest thing that sticks out to me, and we'll kind of, we'll break down the schedule, you know, as it gets a little closer, we'll really take some time and break it down. But what sticks out to me is there's a lot of double headers. Which, which as a racer, that is awesome. You know, so on both series, there's a lot of nights on the schedule, and it, it looked to me like more than normal. You know, it looks, I mean, there's always been double headers, but I could be wrong on this, and I'm going to dissect that. But immediately that stuck out. There's like a lot of Friday, Saturday, two complete shows deals. And as a race car driver, that is amazing because you get there, you're set, you race one night, you don't have to put everything away, you don't have to travel, you're there. You can call it a night. You can you can kind of have that event atmosphere. Puka talked about that with Heather there on uh, under caution on the show of the two day shows. You know they talked a little bit about that. You know and and that's what's neat is is there's going to be a lot more of that going on and it's fun to see that on a national stage, especially for these travelers because they travel enough and for them to be able to go in and just do two shows in one swoop, I think that's super cool. I ninety four Speedway. They have a show on the schedule there. Um, so that's over at Fergus Falls, Minnesota. That one kind of stuck out to me. But uh, pretty pretty interested in them. Two complete shows, double-header. There's a lot of them coming up. And, and uh, Prairie Dirt Classic, I am, like, literally going to get there <laughs> next year. So, But uh, we'll, we'll dissect that a little bit more when the time comes, Bert. You know, let's roll into, uh, you know, the 2021, the Dirt or the National Dirt Late Model Hall of Fame. They actually announced uh, the people getting in. That, that's pretty cool. Yeah, they announced, uh, there's uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight inductees uh, for 2021. Uh, probably the name that jumps out the most is uh, Daryl Lanigan. Um, but uh, Bob uh, Shyrock is one of, I mean, is that? Uh, uh, Shryock, yep. Shryock? That's Kelly. Yeah, that's Kelly's dad. Okay, that's what I, I, that's what I was I, wondering. Yep. Okay. Uh, Jeff Akey, Wade Knowles, uh, Clint Smith. That's another familiar cat, name. Is that the Cat Daddy? Is that what they called him? Cat Daddy? Yep. Yep. And uh, Bobby Allen, Gerald Newton, and Audie Schwartz. Uh, and Audie those... Schwartz, he was at the Dirt Track World Championship. Was he? He was, he was there, yeah. So okay. he, had, he had the car there. And I think that's Charlie Schwartz's kid, right? I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't. I will. I'll check on that and confirm. But I'm about 99% positive that that's Charlie Schwartz's kid. I think he's like 56 years old. So pretty cool deal seeing Audie Schwartz in there. But uh, congratulations to all of them. That's a huge honor, you know, for all involved. And you know, we'll, uh, you know, we'll we'll pass some stuff along because there'll be stuff about all these folks online right. in the time to come. So we'll pass some of that along to the Facebook page for people to kind of check out and kind of see a little bit about these guys so pretty cool deal there and i want to give a shout out speaking of the world of outlaw late models uh casey schumann he's the world of outlaw late model series director 
you know, he's a, he's a non, he's a sprint car guy. And uh, I was looking, I was actually checking out because my buddy Keith watching the Bettenhausen 100 over at the Springfield mile, that USAC sprint deal or whatever. And I'm like, well, there ain't no other racing going on. And the Vikings are really, really sucking really bad. <laughs> so I'll jump on and at least look at it. And, and uh, he was in that deal. He got six, you know, so I don't think he raced much this year following that, you know, the world of Omaha's, but pretty cool to see him jump back in there. Kyle Larson, he won that deal. David Gravel, his first ever start in that deal, started dead last. I think it was 26th and drove up to second. So um, kind of a neat deal. I mean, it's a one-mile track. In my mind, it was a pretty boring deal. But, yes. but I, I, watched, was, yeah. <laughs> I watched a little bit of it, and I'm thinking, yeah, this isn't very exciting at all. <laughs> no, I had a buddy of mine. He's a sprint car guy, uh, Rob Cahill, and his kid, Robbie Cahill Jr., runs really good. He, and Rob posted on there, oh, man, what a great race. And I'm like, <laughs> I actually messaged him on Facebook. I'm like, dude, what are you watching? Like, seriously, this is terrible. It's, like, actually painful watching this. But, you know, it was it was cool. I mean, the, the history behind it and all that, that's right, all good. Right. But I'm like, take that deal, cut that track down by, you know, like three quarters, make it into a quarter mile. I'll be interested then. <laughs> this one mile, one lane deal, boring, terrible stuff. And, uh, again, talking about the world of outlaws, a little bit of news on the world of Outlaw front here. Uh, they uh, actually, I'll let you touch on that, Bert. Well, uh, they're using uh, your favorite phrase. Uh, the it is postponed until twenty twenty one. That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Why do they call it postponed? It's canceled. They're not having the twenty twenty <laughs> World Finals in twenty twenty one. They're having the twenty twenty one World Finals in twenty twenty one. It's not postponed. It is canceled. And what's weird, and Jeff mentioned this, he goes, why on earth do they keep, like, they cancel the show and then, boom, they have a race at the same track at the same weekend. What? Are they doing that so they can hold on to people's ticket money? Of course, they're refunding them. They're letting the people refund it. I don't know what the hell they're doing there, but they're still having it. They're calling it the last call, and it's a different format. I mean, the format for the World Finals was the World of Outlaw Sprints, the Big Block Mods, and the World of Outlaw Late Models, and they kind of had a a qualifying day there Thursday, and then two complete shows Friday, Saturday. And now they got it broken out. No big block mods because they can't come down with the travel bands from New York. But on, I believe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Wednesday and Thursday is going to be World of Outlaw Lates. Friday, Saturday yeah. is going to be World of Outlaw Sprints. Um, limited crowds, and they are letting fans in there. It's all going to be on Dirt Vision. And so they're still having the races. The points races are there. They just named it something different. It's just yeah, it is what it is. At, at first, when I saw that, I'm like, oh, man, that sucks. There's only one more weekend left. But I watched all the races online anyway, so nothing changes for us because we watch them right. all online anyway. So, <laughs> so, yeah, the only thing that's interesting on that is car counts, right? Specifically late models. Sprints is maybe a little different because they kind of – I think they'll all migrate down to that deal. But the late model guys, <clears throat> you start looking at some of the Lucas guys, some of the guys that maybe would have gone to the world finals because of the mystique, right? The prestige, the big show, all them classes running together, a capacity crowd. And because they don't pay crap, it's 10, it's a regular world of outlaw show. It's 10 grand to win, 700 to start or whatever. It's not a huge paying deal. Are some of the guys that maybe don't follow the world of outlaws, is there going to be some people that say, you know what? Yeah, it's it's not quite as big as what it was going to be. We're just going to call it a year and stay home. What do you think? Uh, I, I think that's very well possible, especially 
um, and we'll get into this in later shows also, especially <clears throat> since there seems that there's going to be less of an off season this year because there's, uh, uh, you know, more races being scheduled for January and February. So teams don't have a lot of, uh, of time to go from one season to the next. It's almost like one continuous season. So I wouldn't be shocked at all if some teams, you know, that aren't uh, World of Outlaw regulars just say, okay, let's just – we're done for this year. Let's start preparing for 2021. And that's what I like about the Lucas deal. Their end-of-the-year show, their last show of the year, is the biggest show of the year. That's a hundred grand to win. It's a dirt track world championship. It's the biggest paying event of the year, right? In the world of outlaws, the biggest paying event's not the last race. It's not the first race. It's somewhere in the middle. It doesn't really make much sense to me. It's like you'd think, you know, they always say it's the finale, the grand finale, right? The greatest spectacle. Make that the biggest event. It could be, you know, Daytona 500. That's the first event. That's how the NASCAR season starts, right? The flip side of that, you know, you look at sports, you look at hockey, football, Vikings fans won't know anything about this for a while, but they have the thing called the Super Bowl, right? They, they, they do that last, right? So, you know, kind of just having a regular show in November, you know, it's a big stage. A lot of people like to go down, but it's going to be different now. So it'll be interesting to see regardless we'll both be watching it <laughs> you know we'll both be watching for sure and i think a lot of people will but uh speaking of nascar uh category 7.5 earthquake up in alaska <laughs> and uh did you see that actually happen today that's a real deal that, no. that actually that actually there was a 7.5 on the richter sale um huge earthquake up in alaska and this is this is true i'm just saying i ain't making this up and they're they're actually predicting this could cause tsunamis I mean, this could cause a big deal. That was a big, big earthquake. Do you know what actually caused that, though? No, I don't. They actually <laughs> announced today that Kyle Larson is getting reinstated back into NASCAR, effective January 1st. And really what caused that whole deal was the overall eruption of all the world of Holocaust <laughs> drivers saying, yeah, and one big swoop caused a whole big earthquake miles away. It's kind of like the butterfly effect caused that up there in, in Alaska. And, uh, man, that was kind of a bad deal. Kyle Larson causing more problems. Again, it's all he does is cause trouble. But uh, he's getting into the ride. Any predictions on where he's going to go? Well, I've, I've, I've thought for a while now that he was going to uh, go to a uh, fellow uh, sprint car uh, alum team, which would be uh, Stuart Haas Racing. <laughs> <laughs> that's I, my prediction <laughs> i got my fingers crossed on that one i hope you're right I, i'm gonna predict he goes to hendrick um that, there's been a lot of rumors going around and the rumors are just that they're rumors but uh we'll we'll keep everybody attuned here to what's going on but needless to say we kind of saw it coming um well, yeah thank I you mean, nascar for giving him a year off so we could have the pr privilege of watching him on dirt because it's been a treat all year long and uh, hopefully we have a lot more of that to come but you know, he's getting back into NASCAR because people are like, why would he go back to NASCAR? Like Randy Moss said, straight cash, homie, straight cash. <laughs> and it, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, Brandon Shepard, driver of the year probably in the late models. Well, not probably. He is. I mean, he won a ton of races, and he just eclipsed $600,000 in winnings, meaning that he gets a portion of that, right? Now, Kyle Larson is going to probably make somewhere seven, eight, nine, ten million dollars in NASCAR. 
it's it's a no-brainer for him. And congratulations to him. You know, I mean, he made a mistake. We've all made them. Me more than anybody, right? It is what it is. So, you know, if I got in trouble for everything I said, holy crap, I'd be in big trouble because I said a lot of stupid stuff in my lifetime. But the fact is, hey, it is what it is. He owned up to it. He's working on it. And I'm glad to see him get that opportunity again. Well, and another reason I'm hoping he goes to Stuart Haas Racing is because uh, chances are he'll get to race more dirt races if he's there rather than Hendrick. <laughs> yeah, I, I fully agree. I don't know if he'd be able to race any dirt racing with Hendrick. Uh, right, I don't know right. what their clauses are. Plus, Tony's got that deal. I don't know how that's all working with all the COVID crap and all that, but Tony's got that other series that he's working on as well. So, you know, could we see Kyle Larson in that? You know, so there's there's going to be some interesting stuff developing um, with the time to come. But with that said, I guess, uh, you know, that brings us to the end, episode 51. Is there anything major like this week? You know, what are you looking forward to more than anything? You've talked about the, the fall nationals down there. That, that's what's on your mm -hmm. radar. Yeah, that's probably uh, kind of what I'm looking forward to the most. But, I mean, I'll, I'll, <clears throat> I'll try to check out as many races as I can. <laughs> And, and I'm looking forward to, if I had to pick something right now, I'm going to pick the World of Outlaw Sprint Car deal. And I'm just proud, and I don't wish ill will on anyone, but I really want to see Brad Sweet, like, break in the first lap and get last. <laughs> I really want to see that. And, you know, not to have him lose the championship, but it would be super cool if them three went into the, to, I guess they're calling it the last call. I was going to call it the World Finals. But it would be super cool if three of them could go in with a legit chance to take home the championship in the, in the final weekend. I don't want to see too big of a gap because like you, I like them points races coming right down to the wire. It creates an extra drama. So that'll be kind of, that's what I'm keeping my eyes on this weekend. So folks, uh, there you have it. Hope you enjoyed the show. We're looking forward to next week, next week, episode 52, <laughs> one year. And we have a special guest coming back to the show. Puka confirmed he's going to come back for episode 52. We we'll miss you, buddy. We're excited to have you back on here. And, and like Puka always says, go out there and be your dream. Thanks for tuning in to the One to Go show.